Thank you, choir. I long for that day. I long for that day when there'll be no more funerals. I long for that day when there'll be no more pain and no more suffering. I long for the day when, when we'll no longer be tired and exhausted as, as Christians, ready to give up. I long for that day when I see Christ and we'll see Christ together and we'll sing. I long for the day when the promises of baptism, death, and resurrection are fulfilled. I long for that day. This morning I'll be preaching from Hebrews chapter 12. And there's a third verse that wasn't read, and I'd like to read to you from Hebrews chapter 12. Let me read to you verse 3. Consider him, that's Christ, consider Christ who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let me read that again. Consider Christ who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Have you ever grown weary? Have you ever lost heart when it came to faith? Have you ever experienced faith fatigue? Have you ever gone through a period of time where you didn't worship at church? When you decided, no more. Have you ever gone through a time of doubt? A time of struggle? Have you ever said, what's the, the point? What's the use of worshiping at all? Now, you didn't suddenly become an atheist during such a time. However, you just became tired. You became discouraged. You slipped away without even noticing it. You lost heart. Have you ever lost heart? I have. There are many causes for losing heart as Christians. One reason is that, that we're constantly battling our culture. And I'm not talking about Christ against culture. I'm not talking about that. I'm rather constantly trying. The struggle is trying to fit the fact that we live in two worlds, that we live in, in a temporal world, an everyday world where there's laws and there's, there's problem. And then on the other hand, we live as Christians in a spiritual realm of grace and forgiveness. And trying to, to live that life is, is difficult. It's, it's struggling. It, it's, it's, it's terribly hard. I mean, think about it. One pastor said, being a follower of Jesus means living as a person who seeks to bear another's burden, but doing that in a culture of narcissism, where we love ourselves. Or being a person who's supposed to store up treasures in heaven when we're consumers. And we live in a consumer culture. Or being the people of peace. When we live in a world that's filled with, with war and struggle and backpack explosives. I mean, trying to live as Christians in this world is terribly difficult. It doesn't come naturally. And so we get discouraged. We get tired. And yet there's a deeper reason for our discouragement, for our fatigue. It's usually because we go through life and we see so little difference. We get exhausted from working and working and working, especially in churches, and not seeing a whole lot of change. 
Have you ever volunteered for a church committee? Only to be discouraged? Only to get upset? Only to be surrounded with other Christians who then drive you mad? Frank Cola worked on the budget with us this week on Thursday night, and he said, I, before, he goes, I don't know why in the world I ever decided to work on another church budget, because I said, I'll never do it again. <laughs> he goes, here I am, doing it again. It's hard. It was a good meeting, and we celebrated afterwards. So he's like, I could do this again. <laughs> but it's hard. Because you work and you pray and, and you, you, you give to, to missions or you give for the cause of world hunger only to see that the poor are always with us, only to see so little change. And so we lose heart and we wander from the fold. Like that old hymn, prone to wonder, wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. <coughs> The book of Hebrews was written for people in such a place who were experiencing faith fatigue. Now, the problem with the book of Hebrews is the language is the language of the day, and it's, it's very difficult unless you're like Elaine who, who understands classics. You know, she teaches it. But, but if you don't, some of the language is difficult, difficult to get into. My wife just said, you know, I should read Hebrews more, but it's always so difficult. When I try, I just sort of give up in the middle because I'm confused. I understand that. But for the original hearers of the book of Hebrew, it wasn't confusing. It was a sermon. It was a sermon to, to draw them back, keep them from slipping away from the faith. In fact, you can hear that in some of the verses. In chapter 2, verse 1, it says this. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. Or later in verse ch chapter 2, it says something that's so, so telling. It says this, it says, God put everything under Christ. God left nothing that is not subject to Christ. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to Christ. Isn't that the truth? I mean, here... Everything's under the lordship of Christ, but when you look around, it sure doesn't seem that way. And so there's struggle there. Or later in chapter 3, it says this, chapter 3, verse 7. So as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Right? Because it's so easy to harden our hearts. Or down to verse 12 in that passage. See to it, brothers that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, that drifts away. We're down in, in chapter 10, verse 12. It says this, or verse, chapter 10, verse 25. It says these words. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. In other words, it's really easy to slip away. Christians get tired. Christians don't understand how Christ can be Lord, and yet it doesn't look that way. Christians struggle, and so in their struggle, they drift away. Their hearts harden. They, they stop worshiping together. These things happen. It happened then. It happened now. You have loved ones that you know. 
who aren't attending church. And it could be because something tragic happened, but more often it's just because other things happen. Again, they got tired. They got in a little scuffle with someone. They volunteered for too many committees. That happens. I have a friend who told me, he said, he said, you know, sometimes people need to take Sabbaths from church volunteering. And I'm like, amen to that. There are moments when all of us need to say, I'm stepping back. I'm sitting in the back pew. And when they do that, those who've been sitting in the back pew need to come up. So you need to do that. Some people are going, amen to that. Right? But we get tired. The Apostle Paul knows this. He knows that Christians struggle. After long months and years of trying, that you, you get to a place where you wonder what's the use. And you get tired. Tired of, of, of trying to follow Jesus. Tired of trying to live the Christian life every day. Tired of church. And so you slip away. Paul knows that. And against such tendencies, he speaks in chapter 11 of Christians who, who ran a race of faith, who pressed on, sinners that they are, who ran a race of faith. Then chapter 12, our verses, the image would be of a, of a, of a coliseum where the you know, Olympic Games are going. And you're running in that last leg of a race. There's a finish line. And in the finish line, there's Christ seated. And this whole arena is surrounded by Christians who fought the fight. They're saying, go, go, go. They're cheering you on as you're running to Christ. That's, that's the image. And to really pull out this, I want to read to you from Eugene Peterson's The Message. Because he translates this in such a lively way that I want you to hear these words from chapter 12 from the message. Eugene Peterson translates this passage this way. Do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on, it means we'd better get on with it. Strip down, start running. Never quit. No extra spiritual fat. No parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of, of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish, in and with God, he could put up with anything along the way. Cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there, in the place of honor, right alongside God. And when you find yourself tired in your faith, go over that story of Jesus again. Item by item, line by line, the long litany of hostility that Jesus plowed through. That'll shoot adrenaline into your souls. What a rich translation. I, I wish I had half that skill to be able, a quarter of that skill to interpret like that. I mean, he understands the struggle, and, and he understands it as when you're in that race, and that race is tiring, and, and your legs are burning, and your, your knees are sore, and, and the joints hurt. He understands the temptation to give up and, and stop running. 
I mean, how many of you actually like running out there? We'll talk later about that. <laughs> and my body was designed to run about 10 feet with a lot of weight on it, and that's about it. You know, who likes to run? It's terrible. I, I'm reminded of, of what Neil Armstrong said. He said, I believe that the good Lord gave us a finite number of heartbeats. And I'm damned if I'm going to use up mine running up and down the street. <laughs> Amen to that, right? Or Mike Royko, who said this. It's unnatural for people to run around the city streets unless they are thieves or victims. It makes people nervous to see someone running. I know that when I see someone running on my street, my instincts tell me to let the dog go after him. <laughs> it's unnatural, right? It's terribly difficult. I'm sorry, runners out there. I have to pick on you every once in a while because I'm jealous that you can run for as long as you do. But running's hard. Your lungs get sore or burn and the joints ache and your feet get tired. Halfway around the race, you don't know if you're going to finish, if you want to finish. You don't see the, the end in, in sight. You're tired. I mean, this, this image is, is important to, because it is the Christian life. Explain the Christian life. And yet Paul tells us to consider two things. He tells us first to consider the cloud of witnesses. Listen again to verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Who are these witnesses? Well, they're mentioned in chapter 11. People like Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, David, countless others who are like pioneers blazing the way for us. These, I like this list, and Rick and I were talking about this week, because these are real people, real saints, real sinners. I mean, we know what David did and all his problems. We know Abraham, the man of faith, who, who was faithless half the time. We know their struggles. We know when they blew it. But they held on to God's promise. Not quite sure what it would mean, but they held on. And they kept running. They kept pressing on. Kept struggling. And sometimes when they were at a spot where they were ready to give up, God would send an angel or a messenger or a prophet to speak a word of hope, to challenge them, to push them, have them repent. God didn't leave them alone. God surrounded these people with others to lead them on. And in the same way, that's what it's saying for us. We're surrounded in that great stadium by the Noahs and the Moseses who know how hard the life of faith is. And they're saying, run, go. You can do it. We know what it's like to get caught up in sin. Don't. <laughs> you know? We know how hard it is to struggle. Go. Don't quit. Run, run. You can do this. Look at Jesus. Go. Go. A whole crowd of people cheering us on. Now, it's not just those who've gone before us 2,000 years ago. I can't help but think of some modern saints in my own life who've gone to be with the Lord who are cheering me on. Can't help think of Walter Barron, a man who was raised in Texas, 
born in a German Lutheran community on dirt floors. He didn't have a father. His father was institutionalized when he was a child. Walter said that, that the, the men of his community disciplined him because he didn't have a dad. And the pastor made sure to visit him a lot and to check in with him. Walter Barron fought in World War II, was in a ship that got sunk, and as he was getting pulled down, an arm reached down and grabbed him. Afterwards, he's involved in the raid on, on Hitler's nest, Eagle's nest. He stayed in Germany, became an accountant, because he could speak German from that little community. Went back to America, works for Ernst & Ernst, then became the treasurer of Ronald Reagan's estate. Walter Barron, a man who had important people around him. He had a man who took time to call me up and see how I was doing when I went to seminary. And to see when I was here, when, when, you know, that first year when I didn't have a secretary and he knew how hard it was, he, he wrote a check. He said, get yourself some help. <laughs> and he prayed for me. Or I couldn't help but think of Lou Page, who I've told you before, when I was new in the faith. And I didn't want to go in church because I did something stupid. She grabbed me by the cheek and said, Russ, God loves you. Come on in. Or Don Escher, who would meet with us at seminary. And when seminary students were about ready to leave, he would always seem to call you at that time. I don't know how he knew these things. He must have paid well for, you know, to be informed. But he'd always take us out to a meal and pray with us. Or John Tiernan at this church who for seven years when this church didn't have a pastor, prayed. Prayed on the Tuesday gathering Bible study, on the Wednesday Bible study, on the Thursday Bible study, on the Saturday workday. Four studies in one week this church had, and the same about seven or eight people attended all of them. And John was praying every time for the pastor, praying for me. For seven years, all my seminary and college days, Saints who are there saying, go and run. And you have such saints in your lives. Sunday school teachers, college professors, neighbors, who've gone to be with the Lord. They're there cheering you on. Go, run, keep going. None of these people were perfect people. But they are people who continued to run in spite of their doubts, in spite of their failures, in spite of their sin. And these are witnesses. Martyrs, literally. But witnesses. Witnesses of what? Not of their greatness, but of God's faithfulness. A faithfulness that, that surrounded them and encouraged them and forgave them. In fact, that's why the writer continues to then later say, Fix your eyes on God's faithfulness, who is Jesus. In verse 2, let us fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter or pioneer of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Consider Jesus. Not WWJD simply, consider what he did and do what he did. 
But consider what he did for you. Consider what he went through for you. Consider the death he died in your place. Consider the love that drove him to die for you. Consider the fact that earlier in Hebrews, it said Jesus was willing to become a pioneer to blaze that path to the Father. Or consider the fact that Jesus became our brother in flesh so that we could be part of his family. Or consider the fact that Jesus is our liberator, our, our, the one who will save us, rescue us from sin, death, and the devil. Or consider that Jesus is our high priest who made that sacrifice so that we would be with God. Consider this Jesus. And when you're tired and struggle and you're tired, consider the Jesus who makes promises in, in holy baptism that calls you a keeper or who enters into bread and wine for you, for the forgiveness of sins. Consider Jesus. Hold on to him. Read his word. Hear his promises for you. Consider Jesus. Talk about a shot of adrenaline. Are you experiencing faith fatigue? I think a lot of us are. We're tired. The word for today is consider the cloud of witnesses. They've run it. They're cheering you on. Consider Christ. Fix your eyes on him. His eyes are fixed on you. Consider the salvation he has won for you. Consider that new day when there will be no more death and no more pain and no more sorrow. When those things have passed and our bodies are no longer sore and ache. Consider Christ. Hold on to him. In Jesus' name, amen.